Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Finally, the NFL draft is here. And I mean finally. 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 Am I right, Rit? Finally. 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 We have hit this. Finally. 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 We've hit this for months. Finally. Finally. The finally. NFL draft finally. is here. Finally. Finally, 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 Rit, finally, you're making finally, sense. Finally, finally, you got it finally, right. Finally, finally, finally. Jacksonville is on the clock. Finally, finally, finally. Actually, they've been on the clock since January, and we pretty much could have switched the clock off altogether at that point. <laughs> because everybody has known for months who the first pick was going to be. An absolute stone-cold lock. I mean, to the point where nobody even talks about Trevor Lawrence anymore because we know. If you were doing a create a player in Madden, you would pretty much create this guy. You'd want a guy who's tall, fast, he's got a cannon for an arm, a guy who makes a lot of winning plays, a guy who wins, a guy who wins a lot, a guy who has always won on every single level, a guy who has been in the spotlight for years. He's been the man in his draft class since high school. And all this guy's done is live up to the hype at every single point. You know, that transition from college to the NFL as a quarterback and the first pick in the draft is supposed to be one of the hardest things. Now you're the face of a franchise. Now you have to carry an entire organization on your back. Now from the second you wake up every single morning, every single eye is on you. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you touch. It's one of the toughest gigs in the world. Except this guy has gotten plenty of reps for it. He's been doing it already. It might actually be one of the easier parts of the transition for Lawrence. Now, just because the guy is a slam dunk is the first pick in the draft and has exceeded the hype time and time again does not make him a slam dunk all pro the moment he gets in the league. But again, if you were looking just to create or build a player, this is the player that you would create. And for as long as Trevor Lawrence has been the number one player in his class, Going back to high school, the guy who's always been 1A has been Justin Fields. It's always been Lawrence and Fields, except something along the way changed. Something did change because the expectation is it's Lawrence and Wilson, as in Zach Wilson, going to the Jets. Not exactly something that the Jets have put out there, but we all know it, and it's been put out there for them. And I get it. I mean, the kid's electric. He's really exciting. He's got a cannon for an arm as well. And what he does is he makes a lot of those holy crap throws, holy bleep throws. You know, not that anybody should ever be compared to Patrick Mahomes, but there is definitely some Patrick Mahomes and Zach Wilson because of that arm, because of that mobility, because of the ability to throw from crazy angles. And then that gets us to the third pick. And that's where the draft really begins. The draft doesn't really begin until the third pick because we know what's going to happen in the first two picks. If Lawrence and Wilson are locks at one and two, then there's no lock at three. There is no certainty there. And honestly, it does make a lot of sense, right? When you consider the 49ers moved up to get that third pick, and when you consider what they gave up a hell of a lot to get that third pick, you would think they would know exactly what they wanted with that pick. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you're not going to be trading down or trying to get somebody to trade up for that third pick. So really, I don't know what the point of all the smoke is. Why are they trying to deke people? Why are they putting out all this crazy smoke? 
And yet, that's all there is right now when it comes to that third pick. For instance, is it Mac Jones? Is that the guy the Niners really want? Because that makes sense. By all accounts, he is pro-ready, and he plays a style that Cal Shanahan loves. But would they really trade up to number three and give up everything they gave up to get to number three to take a guy who, as of about a month and a half ago, was expected to be going in the teens? So does that mean they traded up actually to get Trey Lance, the guy with crazy potential and even crazier maturity? If you missed his interview yesterday on this program, you missed a conversation with a guy who's 20 going on 50. Everybody says it's not just in fields, right? But if everybody's saying it's not fields, does that mean that it is fields? Does the fact that just about everybody has reported that fields is out at number three mean that he's actually in at number three? And then what does all this mean to Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, it's pretty clear the writing is on the wall for him in Frisco. And the writing says, pack your bleeping bags, man. Beat it. Hit the bricks. And if so, does he get traded before the draft? Does he get dealt during the draft? Does he get moved right after the draft? If you ask Kyle Shanahan again whether or not Jimmy G is going to be on the roster on Sunday, you better get prepared for it to get kind of dark. Um, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. Um, So that goes for all of us. I love that, dude. Keep bringing it, Kay. I mean, he's right. How do I know that I'll be here at the end of this segment? All I know is that Denver just got Teddy Bridgewater for a sixth-round pick. And what I also know is, that being said, that is a kick in the package to the Niners. Bridgewater, although not coming off the best year, is one of the best and most beloved guys in that league. His comeback is nothing short of amazing. But his time in Carolina had been running out ever since they traded for Sam Darnold. In fact, that keeps happening to Bridgewater, right? Every time Darnold gets moved or comes in, something happens to Bridgewater. So you look at that, and then you consider that Drew Locke's time in Denver also might be running out too. So what the Broncos have now is an experienced starter to either push Locke or to take his job, and they got him on a contract that's team-friendly, and they could still use that ninth pick overall to get a quarterback in the draft. But point being, if that's what you get for Bridgewater— A sixth rounder, it's kind of hard to imagine the Niners getting an enormous haul for Garoppolo. And yes, that probably means that somehow, someway, this all leads him back to New England to reunite with the hood. And for what? A bag of footballs and maybe a ham sando. Mm. So what it doesn't explain, though, is the 49ers and all these smoke screens. Like, I know it's smokescreen season, but that is a smoke job for the ages. And if you're going to fool people a little bit, why not just go all in and really mess with people? To me, the 49ers, when everybody's looking at this third pick and what quarterback they might take, to me, the greatest deke of all time would be to use that third pick on Kyle Pitts. Don't grab a quarterback, rip a unicorn instead. That would be the brassest, ballsiest pick of all time. I would love that. That would be my favorite draft pick ever. That would make the 49ers my favorite team ever. And yes, I know you don't give up two first-round picks to get a tight end, especially when you already have one of the best tight ends in the history of the game. 
But then again, if you're the 49ers, you don't need to be putting out all that smoke either. Man, just take pits. Take pits and then tell the entire world, tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. You imagine you line up George Kittle and Kyle Pitts in the same offense? Let it rip, man. Do that and watch the entire world burn. If you believe you can win with just about any quarterback, man, prove it. Do it. Let's make that happen. And yes, I know there are other teams in the draft, and there are other questions that have to be answered in that draft, like does Carolina still look for a quarterback? What do the Falcons do at number four? What do the Dolphins do with their picks? What does Philadelphia do? And when do the fire Howie chants start? Lots of other topics. Lots of other questions in the draft, but it all starts at number three. And right now, nobody seems to know exactly what the Niners are going to do. So let me say it once again. Man, take the freaking unicorn. Take the unicorn and let the mayhem begin. We had him and Trey Lance both on the program. Two of the bigger names, Kyle Pitts, talked about the 49ers. I brought that up with him because I'm trying to will this into existence. I brought it up and said, do you think there's any possibility that they take you at number three? That was in the beginning before I feel like the quarterback talk started to increase. But um, and I was just getting information, maybe thinking that they were interested or you know, I was having meetings with them. But that was before, like I said, before the before the quarterback hype came. So that kind of that kind of left that train left. I, I don't really think they're going to pick me anymore. Yeah, I hope that smoke, too. He's saying I thought about it. And I thought maybe, but I think that train left the station. Man, I hope not. Be the best draft pick ever. What about Trey Lance? So many questions about him. Not his upside, not his potential, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. I asked him, what about that rap? He came on yesterday. I said, what about that rap that you don't have enough experience to justify a high first-round pick? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, it definitely motivates me. I, I definitely hear, you know, I, I understand the situation that I only played, you know, 17 games. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it's one of those things I know that I, I really can't control. I don't have any control over, you know, how many passes I threw uh, in, in college games at this point. Uh, so for me, I don't, you know, I can't really worry about things that I can't control. No, you can't. Oh, man. Do I ever love my ex chair? I have never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing in my entire professional career. Honestly, it is so comfortable, I could sit for hours and never feel uncomfortable. The secret is not only their patented, dynamic, variable lumbar DVL support, which offers incredible lumbar support to my lower back, but now thanks to their new XHMT technology, I can also get heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. So instead of my old, uncomfortable office chair, which by the way, I hated, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. This chair is absolutely insane. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to my core. It helps to increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home or the office amazing. I'm telling you, you will not believe the X-Chair difference until you feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. Trust me, it is the luxury supercar of office chairs. Check it out right now. X-Chair is on sale for $100 off. Go to xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com right now. That is the letter X, chairrome.com, or call one 844 4 x chair 
X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairrome.com. Evelyn, starting this evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. It is finally here. Good friend of the program, Daniel Jeremiah, DJ to what do I owe this amazing honor on the day of the draft? It is so good to have you, DJ. What's up? How are you? I'm great, dude. A couple things. First of all, you are, are my guy. I'll always make time for you. I've been uh, I've been busy cramming, getting ready for this thing. I'm I'm stoked for it tonight. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I haven't got to listen as much of the show over the last uh, month or so, but I did catch one little uh, segment. So I just had one question for you, Jim, and we can get back to the football. Hit me. Uh, if those guys, if those guys gave us a wedgie. Uh, I believe we gave them a swirly in that four-game series up in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know what? I cannot deny that either. Coming from a Padre honk, also the preeminent Padre honk. You're right, man. How fun. (laughs) DJ, by the way, first of all, I mean this sincerely. Thank you very much for making time for this. I know you've got a very, very busy day ahead of you. How good did that feel down there? And what's it like to watch your Padres now? Oh, it's great, bro. You know what's, what's been fun is like, um, I've been so blessed to be able to do what I love to do and to be able to end up being friends with, with guys like yourself. And like this morning, it's the day of the draft. Okay. This is just a kid from San Diego who grew up loving two things, right? You love football. I love the draft and I love, you know, the Padres. And so this morning, uh, you know, I'm going doing interviews with, with guys like yourself. I'm texting with AJ Preller, uh, about the Dodgers series and you know, how healthy they are going forward. I'm like, you kind of pinch yourself, man. Like how good is life right now? Dude, that is the best. What a great response that is. I love that. Daniel Jeremiah is joining us. It doesn't get any better than it is right now. So what about it? I mean, we finally made it to the draft itself, all the prep, all the studying, all the planning, yeah. all the cramming. How do you feel right now? And how does the rest of your day shape up? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. Like uh, a couple more media things. It's rain. I'm looking out my window right now. Uh, it's, it's raining, so it's going to be a little wet tonight, but there's still a good buzz in the air, man. It's just having the draft back on the road again after last year, everybody doing it from home. Um, there's an excitement here in Cleveland. It's, it's you know, there's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great scene. And then, uh, and then the intrigue that exists, you know, okay, we know, now we know Trevor Lawrence is going to go one. Zach Wilson is going to go two to the Jets. But we don't know on three with the Niners. And, you know, everything that I hear and talking to folks has been pointing me towards Mac Jones, which is what I put in my last mock draft. But, Jim, there's like your gut, right? You know, and I was on, I was on set during Zach Wilson's pro day. We are covering it. And that trade went down. And I immediately said, oh, it's just for Trey Lance. Like, it's just that makes sense. Kyle Shanahan's going to get something he's never had. Um, that's an aggressive move. They just had the North Dakota State pro day. Uh, a day or two prior I'm like so my gut is still telling me gosh I I think this could be Trey Lance but everything I hear and talking to folks is like nah it's Mac Jones so we'll find out tonight man we're talking to Daniel Jeremiah you got me right to that point I was going to say so what about that third pick you know 49er fans DJ would say if the pick is Jones why did we give up so much to get a guy who might actually have been where we were at number 12 to begin with as somebody who has been in NFL front offices and you've gone through this how would you answer that question and if it is Jones did they overpay to get him I think there's two things from my evaluation of him as a player that's too rich, right? You know, but when you when you've been on the team side, if you have conviction um, that this is a dude, that this is the you know this is the guy, he's going to be your quarterback 
for you know the next 10 to 15 years, you, you, you can't overpay. So while I can look at it and say, man, I could never do that because I don't view him in that light. I'm scouting generically for the league, right? I'm not working with an individual team. If you're scouting for a team or you're Kyle Shanahan, you know your system inside and out, who fits it. If you think this guy is the perfect guy to operate your system, I don't really care what the other 31 teams think, how they would use him. It only matters what he would do with me. And if I think that our connection uh, would work and produce, then you don't overpay for a quarterback. So it's it's kind of a, it's tricky. What what I do it? Do I see that? No but I can see where they're coming from if that's what they end up doing. I get that. Daniel Jeremiah is joining us. So, DJ, what about Zach Wilson in your evaluation of him? How does he look to you, and how would that fit, he and the Jets? What kind of a fit would that be? Yeah, I think he's a really good fit in that system. You know, Mike LaFleur there, and, and you know, this system is, is starting to spread all over the league. When you look at, uh, you know, gosh, the NFC West, now you've got this system with San Francisco. You've got it with McVay. Now Seattle just hired off that tree, so – see those three teams now the Jets are doing it we've seen the Packers with the floor have success um, and the type of quarterback that really fits in that to me is somebody that's uh, I just I look at guys with like real quick hands they've got some twitch to them um, and I think that's that's one of the things that you have with Zach Wilson and incredibly accurate you know most importantly uh, can really place the football now he's a tricky evaluation Jim because the competition wasn't great they were better than everybody they played against last year but the throws he was making, I mean, if you go in the park and make those throws, like those are big boy throws that translate. So there'll be an adjustment in, in the step up in competition. But a kid's gifted. He's got a lot of tools to work with. And he's going to get something Sam Darnold didn't have, which is I think he's going to have a pretty decent supporting cast once they come out of this draft. We are talking to Daniel Jeremiah getting ready for the NFL draft. So for a long time, DJ, Justin Fields was thought to be the second best quarterback in the draft. Yet over the course of the spring, it seems like his stock has really taken a beating why is that, and how fair is that in your mind? Yeah, you know, I, I can just speak to it individually, Jim. Like, I, I put out my first list in January right after the season, and I had Justin, and he was my eighth, he's my eighth player right now, um, and he's always kind of been in that range, but he was my fourth quarterback um, at the start of the process. So for me, he hasn't changed at all. I still really like him. I think he's a top 10 talent uh, in the draft, and I think – you know, I think that maybe the assumption that he was the second quarterback on the media side, I don't know that was always matched up with, with the teams were. Now, I've talked to some, you know, either aren't taking quarterbacks or not in position to take one that have him as the number two guy. So, uh, you know, that that is out there. But it was, I don't think it was ever unanimous is what I'm getting at. I think some people assume that he started at two and he drifted all the way to be the fourth or maybe even the fifth guy. Um, I, I don't know that was that was the case. Got it. DJ joining us, Daniel Jeremiah. You also raised the possibility that the Pats might move up in the first round to get a quarterback. If that were the case, that might be pretty out of character. But who would they be interested in, and how likely is it that they pull the trigger and move up like that? Well, I can answer a question with a story, Jim. I I interviewed for a job with the Patriots one time, uh, and I knew several people in the the, uh, building. So I, I come in there, I'm walking through the hallways, and I see guys that I know, and they look down at their computer, they won't look up at me. Uh, so I'm like, okay, not having a conversation with him. Huh. Um, and then uh, you go through the interview process, and you get a chance to look inside the building. Nobody knows what the Patriots are doing. There's no chance anybody has a clue of what they're going to do. Nothing gets out of there. Um, so we can all speculate, and I can look at it and say, I think Trey Lance would be a great fit with them. Um, but any information you think you're getting out of New England, it, 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 I wouldn't trust it. 
Daniel Jeremiah joining us. Uh, yeah, it's amazing that they can keep that thing locked down the way they do, but they do. So, DJ, what about that fourth pick overall? The Falcons have it. They've got Matt Ryan. They've got Julio Jones, yeah. but they had a rough stretch, right? And they've got a new GM and a new head coach. Is it a lock that they go with Kyle Pitts at four, or could you see them taking a quarterback? I don't think it's a lock. I think that it's, it, you know, Trey Lance is the name that you hear kind of associated with them a little bit. So if Mac Jones goes three, I think Trey Lance could very much be in play with them. Um, I know you're committed to Matt Ryan for a couple more years. You know, it'd be a pretty stiff penalty if they moved on from the salary cap standpoint. But he's going into his age 36 season. I don't think that they're close to being a championship caliber team uh, soon. So you could make a case, new GM, maybe it's time to start fresh and, and kind of tear it down a little bit and build it. And when I heard Julio, you know, his name was kind of put on the block, that kind of perked me up a little bit. So I, I still stuck with Kyle Pitts because, you know, he's such a great player, and I think he'd be great with Matt Ryan. That's what I ultimately ended up putting in there. But you could make an argument in a strong case that it could be time for them to start fresh and, and get their next guy. So let me ask you this, moving on to the Packers really quickly before I let you go. They shocked everybody when they traded up last year to take Jordan Love. A year later, how does that pick look to you? I mean, it's just incomplete, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't know. Aaron Aaron showed last year. I mean, you could say, I don't know how you nitpick the guy coming off the year that he had. You say, I don't know how much time. Did they know how much time he had left? Maybe this that pick really motivated Aaron and, and took him to a whole nother level. I, I don't know. I think in hindsight, you look at it and see the way Aaron Rodgers is playing, and that, that doesn't look like one or two more years to me. That looks like four or five more years to me. Um, so if that's the case, then it won't end up looking like a very smart pick. All right, so what do you expect them to do in the first round now? Like, they didn't get him the help that he needed then. Would they do so now, yeah. or are they going to go do something else? Uh, I think that they really like the receiver from Old Miss, Elijah Moore. Um, it's funny, right? So I, I mentioned that we've got this Shanahan tree that's everywhere. Those guys all like the same players. So when you find out like this team that the Niners like this guy or the Rams like this guy, you can kind of assume all the other teams that run that same system, they're all buddies. They all like the same guys. So um, like Elijah Moore is a great fit out of, out of Ole Miss, and he'd be a great fit there at Green Bay. I'm just not so certain he's going to make it to them. Um, so maybe, maybe the uh, Packers go out of character. Not only do they take a receiver, maybe they actually move up and get one. Hey, DJ, you mentioned what it was like to walk through the building and interview with the Patriots. Like, you just said it. you got a blessed life, man. You, you are living a great, great life. Do you currently have your dream job, or is there another one out there? Oh, dude, this is it, man. Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not looking to try and leave happy for happier, buddy. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, I'm in a great place. I enjoy what I do. And once this draft is over, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time off and uh, and hang out by the pool. And all my buddies in the league are gonna be sweating bullets at these guys they picked when they show up to minicamp. Don't look terrible. Well, man, that is the best. That, I'm so I'm not surprised that you have that perspective, but I'm so glad you have that perspective. Hey, believe me, I'm not trying to encourage you to do anything other than what you're doing right now. I like it that you and I can talk as often as we do. The last thing I need you to do is go to a team where I no longer have access to you, right? So I'm glad to hear that that is the response. Is there anybody else, any other team that you're really interested in this evening that you want to see what they're going to do and what they're thinking? Is there somebody who interests you specifically? Yeah, heck yeah. It's the Bengals. Um, so that is one of the more fascinating decisions to me. And and do they take Jamar Chase or do they take a Panay Sewell from Oregon? Um, and I, for a long time, I thought they would take Chase because the, there's a lot of tackle depth, a lot of offensive line depth. They could end up getting one in the second round. 
uh, that's a good player and take the impact skill position player. Um, and then I don't know why, man, but like when they tweeted out that the picture of their new uniforms, I couldn't stop staring at that scar on Joe Burrow's knee. And I was like, ah, just give him soul. Hmm. He is an NFL Network analyst. He is a Jim Rome three-on-three legend. He is a very good friend of the program. He is in Cleveland for the draft. You can watch Daniel Jeremiah on NFL Network's coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. From Cleveland, it all gets underway at 8 p.m. Eastern. DJ, it goes without saying, so I'm going to say it again. I appreciate you, the friendship, and especially making time for us and this show on this busy day. DJ, thanks so much. I appreciate it, Rome. This summer, buddy, we're going to do a home and a home and home here. I'm, I'm coming up to a Dodger game. Uh, I'm going to make you travel to Petco for a Padre game. The, I'm happen. all in. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Let's talk as much NFL as possible. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. Check that. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. I got some really good news, Seattle. In fact, I've got some great bleeping news, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. You know that entire offseason drama surrounding your star quarterback and future Hall of Famer, Russ Wilson, and the organization. Remember all that stuff about him getting tired of having his ass kicked on the weekly, him wanting more say in the organization, him being okay with being traded to certain teams if he did not get that say or get some help. Remember all of that drama. Come to find out, it means nothing at all. Nothing there. Just smoke. Of course, it's not coming from Russ himself, but it is coming from the next best source. Bubble Yum Pete. Bubble Yum Pete Carroll. And if you can't believe and you can't trust BYPC, who can you believe? Not only are he and Russ on the same page now, in fact, the bubble yummer himself said at his presser yesterday, Russ has never been as hyped about a season as he is the upcoming season. Right now, he is as jacked up as he's ever been. He's in the process of turning over our new, our new offensive stuff that is different from the, from the past and things that we need to learn. He's totally after it, doing a great job. His mentality is strong and his conditioning is what right. He's doing a great job. And so uh, things are said, things are said. And, and sometimes you have to deal with stuff, and that's, that's how we take care of our business. And, and we're in a fantastic place right now and really excited about this team and this season and this draft coming up and all of that. All right, so that's the first time that Pete had spoken with reporters since the end of the season. And as always, Peter had lots to say, and he said it at a high rate, a fast rate. Now, remember after the Super Bowl, when Russ went on that mini public tour and he had some disdain over getting the hands every week from opposing defenses. He suggested that he would like the same sort of say that other great quarterbacks have in personnel decisions. However, the yummer says that he wants to set the record straight on that too. He played that obvious card from the bottom of the deck where he blames the media for blowing it out of proportion and reminds everybody that words can and often do get twisted. 
Right from the beginning, I was talking to Russ. We spent hours on the phone over this offseason talking, and we worked at stuff and understood the topics and the subjects. So th- there really wasn't a problem, you know. So there's nothing to put the pin in to me other than the fact that there was a couple things that he said, and he realized how volatile the simplest of responses are. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for that, yummer. Now, I'm sure you're probably wondering if that's the case, bubble yummer. Then why did Russ's agent, Mark Rogers, tell ESPN that his client would waive his no-trade clause for four teams? Well, apparently the yummer has an answer for that too. You know, I had made a clear statement to Russ, you know, let's let's just shut down and be quiet on this stuff. We don't need to say anything. There's, we know the truth of what's going on. When that came out, that kind of got over the over the top and that it, it opened up some other conversation that we didn't need to happen. And that was an example of why we're quiet and why we don't say anything. And so it just mean, it was so meaningless because there was it had nothing to do with what was going on. So it was just kind of a gave an, another little bite in there that, that people could talk about. And that I wish we would have avoided that is what I'm saying. Right? Freaking rogue agents. They're the absolute worst. Am I right, bubble yum? Hey, Peter, I don't know, my guy. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's funny how all of this just got blown out of proportion and taken out of context. I mean, what are you going to tell me next? That Russ really hasn't been sacked nearly 400 times in nine seasons? That you're not a gum-chomping degenerate? That you don't talk really, really fast? Yo, yummer. This guy's been sacked on average over 43 times a season. He is on pace to pass the slinger for most sacked quarterback of all time in the next three years. Now, I know some of you. Some of you have the yummers back on this. Some of you want to say, hey, Rome, if dude did not hold on to the ball so long, and if he wasn't always trying to make some big play, he wouldn't be getting the crap beat out of him every single Sunday. However, I see it the other way. I see it the other way. What I see is a guy with incredible pocket presence, a guy who does feel the pass rush as well as anybody there is, a guy who's mobile and athletic as hell and is still getting the crap beat out of him on the regular. And what I see is a guy who's frustrated and pissed. And I get it. And I agree with him. That's what I see. And normally what I see is how it is. Just saying. And what I see is some old dude furiously working the B-yum who seems to have a tremendous threshold for his franchise quarterback's pain. And you're going to tell me that Russ no longer has those same exact concerns. You're going to tell me that Russ is perfectly fine with the team doing next to nothing to bolster his protection. Yes, I'm aware they brought in Gabe Jackson, who I do like. But I don't think Gabe himself and this so-called new scheme could single-handedly relieve Russ of the stress of eating turf every Sunday. Like, I don't know that Seattle really improved all that much, but I know pretty much everybody else in that division did. Arizona signed J.J. Watt, and they're going to match him up with Chandler Jones. A healthy Chandler Jones. The Niners get Nick Bosa back. The Rams, well, 99 is still 99. And they've also re-signed Leonard Floyd. And if you paid any attention last year or recently, Leonard Floyd is enjoying himself some Russ of late. They also have a draft coming up, right? Everybody has more selections than Seattle's three picks. Yes, I said that too. Seattle has three picks. 
three picks in the entire draft. Something tells me a difference-making O-lineman is not coming when your first pick is tomorrow. So yeah, I don't know, Peter. That seems like a whole hell of a lot of smoke. That seems like a lot of smoke. And not a whole lot of reality coming from you, my man. I mean, I guess I could take your word for it. I'm glad you're here to tell me that everything is cool with Russ. Everything is cool with Russ and you. Everything is cool with Russ and the organization. I just feel like I'd feel a lot better about it if I heard it from Russ himself. And yes, clones, I am well aware that Russ admitted to joining the Mile High Club with his wife when he appeared on Ellen. And no, to the best of my knowledge, nobody asked Bubble Yum Pete about that. But I wish they had. Can you imagine if they did go there? You thought that Peter could nervously yap now? Imagine if somebody hit him with that question. Hey, yo, Bubble Yum Peter, Russ said that he was a member of the Mile High Club. What is your reaction? Right now, he is as jacked up as he's ever been. He's in the process of turning over a new, a new offensive stuff that is different from, from the past and things that we need to learn. He's totally after it, doing a great job. His mentality is strong and his conditioning is what, right? He's doing a great job. And so, uh, things are said, things are said. And, and sometimes you have to deal with stuff, and that's, that's how we take care of our business. And, and we're in a fantastic place right now. I'm really excited about this team and the season and the draft coming up and all of that. Right from the beginning, I was talking to Russ. We spent hours on the phone over this offseason talking, and we worked at stuff and understood the topics and subjects. So, th- there really wasn't a problem. You know? That would have been so, so great. That would have been so great. Hey, yo, Pete. All right, great. That's good. That's good. He doesn't want to be traded. You got him the help he needed, but hey, man. Hey, Peter, I know you're a big Ellen fan. I know you watch that show religiously. What did you think, man? What did you think when you heard your guy say, yeah, I went there? Hey, hey, Seattle, we were up in the Mile High Club. What was your reaction to that, Peter? Right now, he's as jacked up as he's ever been. He's in the process of turning over a new stuff that is different from the past. And he's, yeah. he's totally after doing a great job. His mentality is strong. His conditioning is right. That been so good. Yeah, serious note, Seattle. He is Eddie George. Eddie, it is great to have you on the show. How are you? Jim, I'm doing great, my man. Good talking to you, man. It's been a long time. My man, it has been a long time, Eddie. It is so good to hear your voice. Great to have you on the program. You and I have talked a number of times since you retired, so let me start right here. Nobody that I know of has made the transition from life as a pro athlete to life after the way you have. I'm talking MBA from Northwestern. You founded a wealth management company. You have been an educator. You've been acting on stage as well. I've got to know, knowing all that, what made you want to get into coaching? You know, that is a wonderful question, Jim. Um, You know, I wasn't thinking about coaching about six months ago at all um, until I was approached with this uh, this opportunity to become a head coach uh, for Tennessee State. And at first, I thought the idea was ridiculous. I thought it was crazy. Um, And I I was like, look, you know, coaching, I know what goes into that. It's it's a full-time deal. I'm enjoying my life. I'm building my businesses. I'm doing stuff on stage and so forth. But, um, and I told my wife about it. I said, you know, honey, would believe, would you believe that somebody asked me to be a head coach for football? I hadn't been a coach. I've never coached my life. I hadn't been to football in 15 years. She says, well, why not? You know, you started businesses. You've done so many other things. You know, football is your first love. And, you know, this is a great challenge for you. And you know how to how to engage with kids, you know how to mentor people, you know how to bring people together. I think it fits perfectly in your skill set. You owe it to yourself to really do your due diligence and figure out if you love it or not. If you don't, at the end of it, don't do it. I said, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. And I I did just that. And without going into great detail about how I got to this point, I reached out to various coaches. Coach Fisher was one of them, told him about the opportunity and he thought it was a brilliant idea, given where 
um, the school is. Um, living in Nashville, Tennessee, I don't have to move. I'm very familiar with the rich tradition here at Tennessee State University, both uh, the football program and athletic program, and as well as the school. Um, this is a school that has the bones to be exceptionally great. You know, uh, they've already had a great run in athletics, but it's time to go to the next level. And for someone to recognize in me that I could be a head coach without me seeing that, it's almost like a God opportunity. So I, after I went and did my due diligence, um, did my homework, um, did the exercise of what would a staff look like? What does a winning budget look like? Uh, what can I do with these kids in terms of turning this program around? I got really excited about it. And at the end of the day, I made the decision to, to jump in this and, and, um, and, and put my all into it. Never been in a head coach or been a head coach for 20 years. Eddie George, I mean, it sounds like Eddie, and I'm not surprised by this at all, but it sounds like you've already been at this position or at this gig for a long, long time. Listen, it's not just coaching, and it's not just coaching in the state, but what's it mean to you to be at an HBCU and have the opportunity to change lives there? Uh, Given um, where some HBCU programs have been, where there's been lack of resources and funding, um, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for me to highlight just what a magnificent university this is. And some of the, I mean, there are some historic programs around the country that have been around for hundreds of years. Um, and and to, for me to have the keys um, and the blueprint, if you will, for this program is, is a tremendous honor. Um, again, you know, this school is not foreign to success. It's, it's, but I'm here to help it be sustainable to make it a better um, university and a better program after I'm gone. So when I hand the keys off to someone else, you know, 10, 15 years down the line or how long I'm here, um, it, it's, it's in a much better place and it's sustainable because the bones are, of greatness are here. Uh, it, it truly is. The, the students are magnificent. The fan base is awesome. Uh, Nashville, the, being here in the city, is one of the top cities in the world to visit. So, you know, people are coming here by the groves, and this is truly a school for the city with a rich history, um, not just, in, like, again, not just in, not in football, but just in academics and uh, in our society. So it's one of the um, pillars in our, of our community here in Nashville. We're talking to Eddie George. You know, Eddie, what I'm hearing from you is you certainly want to leave, like anything else, you want to leave something better than you inherited. But you also said to the undefeated, quote, when I got focused and locked in, I said, this is not about me. It's about something bigger than me, end quote. Yep. So what did you see in the opportunity that made you realize or realize that it was bigger than you? And how are you approaching it from a servant leader perspective? Well, when I think of a football program or um, a place where um, I would send my sons. That's kind of how I started this whole journey in terms of that. You know, where, what do I wish I had when I went through this process? I've already been through the recruiting process as a player. I've been through it as a father, and I'm going to go through it again with my youngest son. So that, to me, is like the ultimate um, level of service. Leadership in head coaching is about service. You're serving the student athlete. You're serving the students. You're serving everybody in the building <laughs> in terms of, you know, their needs, their wants, and, and helping them attain their goals. 
so for me, when I thought about it, I said, my goodness, you know, this could be a wonderful legacy for me to leave for, uh, for years to come. And not just in terms of wins and losses. You know, for me, success is having a kid get his degree and going on to possibly play in the NFL. But after his NFL playing days are done, transition into business, transition into politics, be an agent of change, be a wonderful human being for our society, and then uh, come give back to the university in a major way, you know, paying it forward, like the great Woody Hayes used to say. So to me, that's a level of success. And coming through this program, a kid will be prepared for that. That, to me, means everything. When he can walk into a business room or a meeting room and conduct business and feel confident and, and secure and knowing that he, the dog days he had to go through by coming to Tennessee State University and how he was challenged, how he was forced, how he was uh, held accountable, you know, all the principles that we're going to put around this individual, that to me is success. And, and, and you know, I, of course you want to win national championships. Of course you want to go win undefeated seasons. But developing a human being and having a huge impact on somebody's life, much like the coaches have been in my life, that's what I want to do. Eddie George is the head football coach at Tennessee State. All good stuff. So, Eddie, finally, when people think of an Eddie George coach football team, what do you want them to think of? What is the first image that you want to pop into everybody's head when they think about your football team? Fundamentally sound, um, intelligent, uh, aggressive, um, innovative, creative, um, and those are the things that mentally tough, physically tough, those are the things that I want people to, to think of when they see my football team is that we're disciplined and we're not going to quit. We want to be built for the fourth quarter. Much how I prepared for every football season in my, in my career, um, I'm going to demand from them what I demanded from myself. And it has nothing to do with talent. You know, talent is, is, is one thing, but it's everything else. It's being on time. It's, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's coming to work uh, with a great attitude. It's, it's having uh, control over your effort and where your focus is. So those are the things that you can control that have nothing to do with talent. So um, that's what I want people – that's my goal, to mold this team into that identity and, um, and, and, have, and have a lot of fun doing it. So, Eddie, one last thought. You talked about the players, and I got a sense of the kind of player you want to recruit. There's also reports that you're assembling quite a staff, guys like Hugh Jackson, Pepe Pearson, and more. When you're looking for people to be a part of your staff, what kind of qualities are you looking for in a coach? Mm, great question. I'm looking for, you know, this being uh, my first head coaching job or coaching in, in the business period, um, I reached out to uh, Jeff Fisher, uh, my former coach, whom I have a great deal of respect for, and to help me put the blueprint together. You know, um, he has a, a Rolodex of coaches that I can pick and choose from, so it was important for me to find the right teachers. Not necessarily coaches, but the right teachers. Guys that have uh, great values that are going to uh, teach these young men w what it's like to be a man, um, the principles. And that'll carry over into the football field. Um, the best, the best coaches I've ever had, you know, coached me the person versus the player. And as a byproduct of that, they got a much better player on the football field. So I'm looking for men of great character, um, men that, um, uh, that, that has, that puts respect at the top of their, um, 
their deal in terms of how they operate with people um, and great teachers overall. So that's kind of how I've been able to, to go through it. I think we're putting together a, a staff that the best staff I can think of um, for these young men to, to grow from, to learn from, um, and to thrive from. And uh, it's going to be uh, you know, one big family here hopefully soon, and I'm really excited about it. Well, I can't wait to see what that looks like. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, an All-American, a Heisman Trophy winner, an All-Pro, and the head football coach at Tennessee State. They got themselves a really, really good one. Eddie George, my guest. Eddie, congrats on that. And so good to get caught up with you. I appreciate that time, and I'll look forward to doing it again soon. That was a great conversation, man. Thanks so much. Excellent, Jim. Hey, man, have a good one, brother. Jared in the ABQ. Hey, Jared, what's up? How are you? Yo, Jim, I'm good, but I'm heated, man. Let me tell you something. Where I live in my neighborhood, all these dudes, these wannabe homeowners who think that they can do these DIY projects, love to borrow my damn pools. And I'm sick and tired of these dudes returning them dirty or missing or what have you. My wife is good friends with these dudes, with their, with their wives, so I'm trying not to get heated. But I know they listen to your show, and I'm sick and tired of it. I pay good money to buy nice tools, and when they borrow them, I can't find my damn metric, my, my metric uh, sockets. I can't, they, they return the sawzall and the, the, the blades stuck in the damn thing. And this all started with COVID because everyone's knocking on my door. Hey, man. Hey, Jared, can I borrow this? Can I borrow this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And now they walk around the, the little neighborhood, and they're walking their corgis, and I see them, and they wave. They know, and I know. Hey, Jared. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. Hey, Jared, I got a tool for you. The hammer. It just came down. I've got another tool for you, my man. The word no. Use it. Mike in Ashland, Oregon. Good to have you. Mike, how are you? Oh, not bad. How are you doing? Good. Great. Hey, listen, What's on your mind? T- tell Eddie George that uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not playing against him because he'd run right over the top of me if I was. I used to play football about, about 40 years ago. But, uh, yeah, that guy was tough, man. I mean, he ran right over people. Wasn't he in the Super Bowl that one year with Tennessee and St. Louis? That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Looks like we got ourselves not a beef segment, but a hack off. I thought that maybe a beef segment broke out on this Thursday, but no, we have something even better. The hack off. My man Mike in Ashland is like, hey, man, we go to the 805, Momo. What's up, Momo? Rome Wasabi, thanks for the vine. I couldn't agree more with your call on drafting Kyle Pitts at number three. I watched Garoppolo in 2019 return from injury lead the Niners to their first 8-0 start since 1990, leading them them to the Super Bowl, which they should have won. Is Jimmy G a top 10 QB? No, but he can be if he goes injury-free and having targets like Kittle and Pitts as tight end might just get him there. Kittle would love to see Pitts on the Niners. I quote Kittle, I'd really enjoy two backs, two tight ends, spread them out, and run the ball down their damn throats. Momo, rack him. I'm not saying that for effect either, right? I'm not saying that so somebody would say, you know what Rome said? I mean, I mean that. I don't say anything for effect. I mean that. 
So let's go there right now. Rusty in Seatown. Good to have you, Rusty. How are you? Uh, Jim Rome, Cleveland taking center stage with the NFL draft. We've been looking forward to this for at least two years there, buddy, and it's finally here. You know, aside from getting my parole lifted, this is the happiest I've been in years. Well, I gotta go, Jim. That's Danica coming over to ruin this pepperoni. War Lake Erie. Ah! No. You don't like that cup. I don't like that cup. Not a very good This color. dude shtick. This guy pretending to be from Cleveland and being Cleveland guy, trying to come with some phony, quote, Cleveland accent, talking about, I like the production value too. He mixes in the doorbell. Oh, that's Danica. She's coming over here to ruin this pepperoni. Clarification, she ruins tenderonies. Brandon Copeland is my guest. Brandon, good to have you back. How are you? It's great to be back. You know how to make me blush, man. I'm over here blushing at all those things you said. That's nice. My dude, you, you have doing? a really good resume. You have earned that, so I want to make sure you get your due. Listen, I want to talk to you about tonight and the financial side of life in the NFL in a moment, but earlier in the offseason, you signed with Atlanta. What was it about the Falcons that made you feel like that was the best fit for you? Yeah, I think, you know, being an undrafted guy, you know, you talk about tonight, being an undrafted guy, um, you know, I remember coming into the league in 2013 and um, when I look at the Atlanta Falcons staff, uh, there are a lot of familiar faces. Coach Dean Pease, he was my defensive coordinator, my first defensive coordinator in the league when I was in Baltimore. Coach Smith was just, you know, a, a younger, young guy, you know, no offense to Coach in, in his age right now, but a young guy just grinding every single day uh, in Tennessee when I met him there. And, you know, so there are a lot of familiar faces, Coach Marquise, the special teams coordinator, Coach Bush, I was with him in, with the Jets. So this is really like, you know, a family reunion. Um, and for me, it's like a full circle thing seeing all these, you know, coaches evolve. But they also have seen me evolve as a player and as a man. That's got to feel good. Brandon Copeland joining us. Now, you mentioned 2013. So when you went into that draft, what do you remember feeling heading into the draft? And what kind of hopes did you have that night? Yeah, I remember, you know, I was projected undrafted. Um, but at the last minute, we got a lot of momentum and people were talking about seventh round and potentially sixth round. And I just remember, you know, that, that last day, I'm just waiting for that call. And, and, you know, a couple teams started calling and saying, hey, we're going to take you, but we'll take you after the draft. And, and right then, you know, I remember my family was there and stuff like that. And I got a chip on my shoulder <laughs> from that moment on, you know. Um, for me, you know, it was a dream come true, just for like a lot of guys tonight, like a, a major dream come true. But I think for me, I've always just wanted um, more for myself. And I realized that the journey had just begun. And personally, I just felt slapped in the face that you took so many people in front of me and you thought that I would be there uh, at the end. And, you know, clearly I was. It's worked out for me nine years later, but uh, I still have that chip on my shoulder. So, you know, for those guys who don't get their call during the draft when they expect you know, hey, that use that as motivation, use that as fuel. My man, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me because it was nine years ago, but the way you say that, the way you tell that story, and the way it sounds, it sounds like it was nine days ago. Like, that chip is still yeah. there. That hasn't changed. Now, tonight, 32 guys are going to get selected in the first round, and they're suddenly going to see their financial lives change. You recently did an episode of Coping With Money on the draft. So what kind of advice would you give to guys who hear their name called tonight? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, you know, 
one, obviously you've worked in t- your entire life for this. And I think, you know, one of the things I highlight in that, that piece is, is you're about to hear that you're an overnight millionaire and you just hit a lottery ticket, but you've, you've invested your entire life. You've worked harder than the other people around you to get here. And so it, it, don't just squander the money and the opportunity. Um, first and foremost, understand that these contracts are not, you know, for the most part, not guaranteed, right? Um, I, when I came into the league, I was signed to a three-year, $1.45 million contract, and I saw 26000 of those dollars before being fired and cut for the first time. And so, you know, don't believe the hype. Don't believe what you see on paper. Understand that your work is just beginning. And then the, the final two things that, that I'll, I'll say is, is, one, learn how to say no early. And it's not no to be selfish, but it's more you have to understand that you have a gift and an opportunity. And if you say yes to everyone and allow them to pull from that, then you might not be able to, to have the longevity financially that you're looking for and that you deserve from the investment you put in your whole life. And then the final thing would be save, save, save. And and not just because it's it's the boring or, or the cliche thing to do, but but none of us, the reason why I started teaching Life 101, which anybody can get access to at life101.io now, uh, but the reason why I started teaching us this, this stuff is because we come into this money and us as people, we come we become adults, get a job, and we don't understand money yet. No one's ever taught us this stuff. So use your first year as an opportunity to just save before making any big purchases and things like that if you can afford not to and learn how money works. Learn the people in your corner who you can trust, who will be there for you for the long run, as opposed to just handing your money over to somebody you literally just met two to three months ago, or it's just your agent's buddy, you know? Um, And I think that then you come out of your first year and you now understand the NFL more and you understand your money a bit better and how it works. And then coming into that first offseason, that's when you can start to really build your team and put your money to work for you. My man, that response in and of itself was a master class. I mean, there were probably (laughs) 10 or 12 things in that response that are so key and so interesting to me. Brandon Copeland is my guest. I I don't even know where to start in that response, but I want to ask you this. That point that you made, that when you signed that three-year, $1.45 million deal, that's not what that was, and I get that. But Mm. what I did not expect you to say was that that $1.45 million deal, Brandon, actually was 26 GER before you were, quote, fired for the first time. Was that really all you saw from that contract? Contract? literally yeah literally all i saw from that contract and again i i realized you know my rookie year i was fortunate i had a grandfather who had played in the nfl for 11 years so he was able to say hey like now the work just begins uh but i remember you know snapchat was huge at that time and i remember seeing some of my peers over at the malls and you know posting on snapchat of what they're buying and all these different things and i'm just like like, listen, you just had a bad day in practice yesterday. You might not be here with me, right? Like, so, we, you know, I just think that, you know, I, we need to come in understanding that the work is just beginning and you got to go earn that money. And you also, you know, let's be real, like, you also got to take a job. <laughs> you know, you got to take a job from an old veteran with a chip on his shoulder like me, right? And so those are the things that, you know, not everyone is not going to tell you, and you should enjoy your draft night, don't get me wrong. But, again, when it comes to Monday, that, that work is just beginning. Brandon Copeland is joining us. 
Listen, I want to ask you also about, just off the board, where do you come out, since we're talking about finances, what do you think about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin? What kind of thoughts do you have about that, and how are you approaching it? Yeah, yeah. So me, I I, I was hesitant at first, and like like most of us, late to to, to realize or, or, or act in, in the space. But now I really really believe in really believe in it really see the value in it you know i think that uh, initially i was one of those guys well, well, like, what can you use bitcoin for well, you know i can't see it can't use it but then somebody uh <laughs> mentioned the other day well what, what can you use gold for either right now right like you can go buy some jewelry but you can't go people put value in gold but you can't go to the store and pay for something in gold either today right so um ultimately i really think that it's just beginning um, I think that, you know, you see more and more institution, institutional investors putting their money into it. Pension funds, endowments are starting to put their money into it. And that's just only, you know, creating more of a floor or a base use case for Bitcoin. And then now more and more people are just going to find ways to to make it something that we use in our everyday lives over the next five to 10 years. We're talking football. We're talking currency. We're talking life. Brandon Copeland is joining us. Something you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you mentioned life 101. You dropped that in. Exactly. What is that? Yeah. So that was my class. That is my class at uh, Penn. So I, I taught the class at Penn. I've taught it for the past three years. We just had our final class of the semester on Monday, but I really always told myself that I want this information to be accessible to everyone. Um, I don't want it to just be limited to NFL players or to kids at Penn. I want everyone to have an opportunity to get this information. So we've rolled it out online, life101.io. Anyone can go sign up, take the class. We literally do live Zoom sessions every Tuesday. So you got your NFL player professor um, who brings his friends and subject matter experts in to talk. But we're really just building that community. I think that, you know, sometimes we're all looking for answers, but really by having certain conversations, you'll end up running into the right answer for you and your family. Um, it's hard for me to give one person particular advice because I'm not in their situation. I don't have the same risk tolerance as them. But when you're around a group of like-minded individuals in a community, now you can, you know, iron sharpens iron. You can get to your perfect answer through conversation and open conversation. So we just created that safe space at life101.io. We look forward. We have a bunch of free resources, books, um, budgets, budgeting tools, tax tools, um, but then also those live classes. So, you know, we love to have more people join. I like that. Brandon Copeland joining us for a few more moments. You know, something as part of that you've talked about is people need to stop wasting time being disappointed by people. What does that mean? Yes. And why is that so important in your mind? Yeah, I think, you know, we, my grandfather, that stems from a story my grandfather told me. I had my eureka moment. One day when I was younger, my, my younger brother and I always kept getting into little fights and stuff. And long story short, I got sent to my granddad's house for a few days. And, and one of the things my granddad said is like, hey, like, God didn't put Chad, my younger brother, on this earth to please you. The same way he didn't put me on this earth to please you and you are not on this earth to please me. And for me, I kind of like took that, it was a big eureka moment in my mind, like, whoa, he's not here to please me, right? But but it really kind of extrapolated that and just said, like, listen, when people are going to, people and things and situations are going to inevitably let you down. And sometimes we just spend too much time wallowing in the, the shock 
and the disappointment of what, what, what happened. I thought you said you were going to do this. I thought you said you were going to show up here, right, as opposed to really thinking about the solution. And so if we can stop wasting that time being let down when inevitably, inevitably it is going to happen, it just allows for a more effective life and allows you not to stress out over things that, again, it, it's going to happen. And I don't mean to say that negatively or, or sound like a negative person. It's just, you know, um, it's, just, it's just life. Other things pop up for people. I was going to say, right? It does, it does not make us negative. It makes us real. Like, it's going to happen. You know what's yeah. going to happen. So let me finally ask you this. You always hear people in and out of sports talking about process. Like, you're really locked in when it comes to your finances. But you've said, quote, mm-hmm. my life is a business. I don't unplug. It doesn't happen. What do you mean by that? And where does that mindset come from? Yeah, I think, you know, some, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. And I'm just getting more and more comfortable just understanding that, like, I am passionate about the things that I'm doing. I think when I started out on this financial freedom journey, right, this this financial literacy journey, which was really my original goal was for myself and my family to reach financial freedom. It was so that I had uh, the opportunity to be able to always work within a passion. I didn't have to do something that I wasn't interested in doing. And, and as I've kind of slowly built my own empire, you know, I've, I've, you know, told my wife at times, like, listen, like, I, I've realized, like, I just can't turn it off. Like, I just enjoy real estate. I just enjoy designing kitchens and, and picking out colors for, for, you know, the walls and things like that. I can't turn off venture investing and being interested in different deals. And so, um, for me, I just think that if you can align the, if you can align your, your education and your, your research with things that you feel like will help benefit you in the long run, I think it gives you the opportunity to, again, not have to turn off that switch if you don't want to. You know, I think sometimes people think it's like, oh, he can't turn it off. But really it's like I, if I turn it off, I'm getting more anxious and nervous when, I, when I'm trying to avoid thinking about business as opposed to just just enjoying it instead of me playing video games i enjoy talking about stocks right and and you know you just gotta be who you are and and trust in that and trust that you know god gave you that that personality that mindset for a reason right let's not confuse can't turn it off with not wanting to turn it off because there's passion (laughs) for it brandon i I gotta say at this point in your life and your evolution dude you were so interesting to me i kind of forget you play the game Football, football, <laughs> yeah. I mean. Football, I mean. Not yeah, the other no, game. You know what I'm 100%. saying? Yeah, no, 100%. I tell people, you know, most of the time people, if they, they Google me, you probably don't even realize that I play football. But for me, you know, I think that that's, that's the pretty – for me personally, that's the coolest thing in the world. I, you know, I, I remember being a kid in high school and, and walking through the hallways and, you know, trying to get recruited to this high school and, and looking at all the old pictures of the, the old championship teams and then bragging about the, the guys who came come there before. And I was just like, as a competitor, I was like, listen, like, I want to make you forget them. I want to be so good that you never even mention their names again because you're th- thinking about how great Brandon Copeland was. And I always thought at that moment, even being young, I was like, well, that's kind of, yeah, I consider myself a pretty humble dude, but that kind of shows you the lifespan of an athlete, right? Like, no matter who you are, somebody wants to be better than Michael Jordan, right? Um, and and what can I do that allows my legacy to be much bigger than 
a tackle or a sack that I make this year. Now we want to do that. We want to, you know, make the Falcon fans go crazy on Sundays. You know, that's my goal and that's my dream and that's a passion of mine. But ultimately, I also realize that the kids that I'm able to help or the the one of my students from my first year of class reached out and said two years and eighty thousand dollars in student loan debt later, she's completely debt free. Wow. Those things last a lifetime. And that to me, whether, you know, my name is on it or not, that to me is one of the coolest things in the world. You bet. He was named to Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30 Class of 2021, signed with the Atlanta Falcons, host of Coping With Money for Kiplinger.com, Brandon Copeland. My man, so good to get caught up, Brandon. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. Stay safe, Jim. Good night now!